0: let's get it going right here right now this is new generation declassified and you're listening to an all-new new New generation declassified here exclusively on the home of the two-man power of wrestling podcasting empire the tmpt empire and tmpt empire.com if you didn't know by now my name is chad and every single week we sit in the chair here to talk a little new generation action we go back and look At the glory days, the mid-90s, the World Wrestling Federation's new generation era. An era that we have definitely dissected and really shed a light on over the last year plus of doing this podcast. Uh, Today, of course, no different. This time, sitting in the chair solo, going to talk about the 1996 WWF Tag Team Championship Tournament. Now, before we get into talking about the tournament and the teams and the brackets and the locations and all that good stuff, we got to take a look at what the new generation tag team scene looked like. Probably, and especially to the old school fan, this is a weaker Weaker tag team division than we had seen in recent years. Obviously, when you think of the WWF and you think of tag teams, you really think about the probably 1986 to about 1992 era of tag teams. Uh, Maybe even I'd even go maybe a little earlier than that, maybe 1986 to like 1990 era of tag teams you think about the heart foundation the british bulldogs demolition the rockers the fabulous Rougeau brothers the powers of pain then you add in folks like the legion of doom and then there were other side tag teams you know Sheik and volkov then volkov and zukov the bolsheviks uh the conquistadors not a great team but still nonetheless a team you remember from that era uh, so many the twin towers you can go on and on and on about the teams that they had haku and the barbarian uh you had teams put together like the mega powers and the mega bucks and all these amazing teams that made up some tag team matches that you've never forgot and from that glory era of wrestling it just stand out like a sore thumb when we get into the 90s you start to kind of see Not as I wouldn't say memorable, but just not as iconic maybe as some of the other ones. I don't think that there's a lot of people out there yearning for the heyday of the Beverly brothers or the heyday of uh, some of the other makeshift teams that were put together uh, to kind of present, you know what we thought tag team wrestling was in the nineties. It was sometimes just two random guys thrown together. It worked Sometimes you got money incorporated. Those were two random guys thrown together, but it worked. Uh, can't also forget natural disasters, the nasty boys and so on and so forth. You get what I'm saying. This era of the nineties doesn't necessarily get the, uh, light shed on it. Maybe that it should, uh, I have gone back and I have looked at a lot of the matches from the 1996 tag team championship tournament, a tournament that I recall not being very good, and I recall being very underwhelmed by. But what we do on this show, we put on a new pair of glasses, we look through a set of 2021 eyes, and we see, does it hold up? Does it change your opinion? And maybe if you could uh, recommend it to somebody, would you? And that's what we're going to do here today because I got to be honest with you, darn it, and I'm not trying to do this just because I'm trying to get the new generation uh, over with new fans, but I would recommend the 1996 Tag Team Championship Tournament. But 25 years ago, I would not. Now, I can recall back at the time not being a big fan of the tag team division shrinking in the way that it did because they were really only spotlighting a handful of teams. And it really was in 96, the Body Donnas, the Godwins, the Smoking Guns, and the new rockers. Those were kind of the four that they were making you kind of see more than anybody else. Those four teams. But as we see with the brackets of the tag team championship tournament, but also looking at the greater landscape of 1996, there were a ton more teams. It was just, these were the four we were watching every single week. Uh, But at the time again, not very um, just taken by these teams and not interested in the tournament. Um so we'll look at a couple of the factors that may have caused my thinking then uh as well as watching some of these matches now and really you know getting the opportunity to change my mind cuz not only was it just the tag team championship tournament it was week in week out some of the singles matches between the tag team competitors that would help drive some of the feuds going on and uh even though this tag team tournament really technically only took place uh, over a few weeks span um they stretched it out in typical WWF television fashion but you basically saw the same matches for now the next 4 months afterwards and we could be in May and June 96 and still see the same uh pairings because again it was just a very thin division at the time and I really wonder why I wonder why this was the turning point with Vince McMahon and the tag team scene because the the 1980s into 1990s tag teams were so dominant in terms of the exposure they had on the shows. And if you really want to look at a year like 1989, when Demolition held the belts for the good part of the of the previous year, uh, winning them at WrestleMania 4, and then holding them all the way till the summer of 1989, you know, you think of Demolition, and it was dominance. It was every week, you know, beating an enhancement team when they would be on the superstars or a wrestling challenge, and then you'd see them on a Saturday night's main event. They'd get a win. they're on WrestleMania. they're they're facing the powers of pain, you know they they were a dominant dominant team. Uh, so when they were finally dethroned, it was a big deal. But you think about how that was booked. And you see a fast forward only a few years later to see where did Vince kind of lose touch with the tag team scene? Where did he kind of change his mind and not want to emphasize the tag teams as strong you know, and own at WrestleMania nine in 93, you know, we see it's the, uh, the money incorporated, uh, mega maniacs, uh, match where Hogan and beefcake are uh, going after the tag belts. And it's like, well, you don't really see Hulk Hogan as a scrappy tag team competitor, uh, and that was a absolute, you know, bullshit ending that they had. And I've talked about that being one of the stupidest uh, finishes ever to a, a wrestling, especially WrestleMania match. But uh, after that, in 93, it kind of like tag team scene slows down a little bit. And, and albeit, I have been also watching a lot of the head shrinkers in 1993. And I'd love to do a show on the head shrinkers at some point and the head shrinkers were very very good and uh their matches were very hard hitting and uh you know the enhancement matches are they're like muggings they're they're so intense but the actual matches they had with the steiner brothers and, and a few of the other uh, heel teams when they turned babyface just very hard nosed matches very very solid and uh really enjoying going back and watching a team like the head shrinkers but they are not involved in this because by this point in 1996 the head shrinkers were no more. Fatu had moved on to making a difference, and actually, in the midst of uh, some of the post tag team tournament uh, content I've been watching, <laughs> this is the angle where Fatu is being lured by the Samoan gangsta party, which was his former partner Samu and the future Rosie, uh, to kind of come and and be like a badass. And you know, it looked like they were trying to sell drugs, uh, the way they were being so uh, suspicious and a little, uh, you know. Maybe a little nefarious, but that remains to be seen. The Samoan Gangster Party didn't last very long. Uh, they'd end up in ECW uh, later in 96. But uh, nonetheless, Fatou making a difference, but not in the tag team ranks at the, uh, the middle point in 1996. The, the making a difference Fatu, not one of the highlights of a Hall of Fame career for one uh, Rakishi <laughs> without a shadow of a doubt. Not very good. Uh, very corny and very lame. Uh, but speaking of which, let's talk about a few of these teams that are in the tag team tournament. I'm going to run them down before we get into the, uh, the bracketology of the, uh, of the matter. And we'll see, uh, what we've got going on. So we've got teams that are makeshift. We've got teams that are thrown together. One team I want to just mention first is, uh, the million dollar team. So now we talk about over the last couple of weeks, the million dollar team and the million dollar man, how the corporation had such a stranglehold of the federation, uh, for the better part of two and a half years. but by this point in 96 the corporation definitely dropping down the rungs in terms of uh, where they lie in the the heel ranks uh, maybe more on the mid card spectrum, even lower card spectrum. So the million dollar team's entry into this tag team tournament is the one two three kid and Tatanka. Now, Tatanka is virtually gone from WWF programming at this point. He'll pop up here and there as a background guy. He'll have some enhancement matches every so often. But by this point in 96, Tatanka is an afterthought. He is not being used. He is just in the corporation. I recall seeing a house show in February 96. He was actually just a fill-in guy. Uh, who got squashed by Ahmed Johnson in like two minutes at the Meadowlands? Uh, but at this point, the one-two-three kid also may be on the south side of his run, um, just finishing up his feud with Razor Ramon, where we would see the uh, the 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 diaper match, where the loser had to wear a diaper. Where at the end, he's crying with the bottle and the powder all over his face, and oh man, just not not one of those like jump off the page uh, great moments for uh, a great career like Sean Waltman had especially with what the one two three kid was and did from 93 through uh, basically uh, 95 when he turned heel. Kind of funny when he turns heel it's really the end of the kid he he did not have a great showing as a as a heel although you know I do like the match he has with Shawn Michaels on raw basically right before he leaves. Um, just, yeah, this is, uh, basically the swan song of the one, two, three kid and teaming with Tatanka, which I'll just mention their first round opponent is the raise the, the, the other kind of makeshift team, but it makes sense because they're quote friends, Razor Ramon and Savio Vega, where this is an interesting little, um, side, uh, note to make. This is basically the last chapter in the One Two Three Kid and Razor Ramon saga. They had the match in February. This technically is filmed in February, but airs in March, and this is basically their last interaction that they have, and it's the end of the One Two Three Kid Razor Ramon. Going back to 1993, we talked about that a few weeks back. Um, that's it. It's in a tag match. It's a it's a decent match. It's okay. Uh, one of the things I'll point out here is that all the matches for this tag team tournament took place on superstars. So it didn't even have the Monday night raw feel. It was basically just kind of stuck on the superstars, uh, television experience. And that's where you got, uh, the final chapter of Razor Ramon and the one, two, three kid, other teams in this, the very reliable and always there, uh, bushwhackers now, obviously on a lighter schedule, not the same uh, 1990, uh, early late 80s, early 90s. Uh, Bushwhackers, they are another one. Just kind of like a throw-in. Oh, the Bushwhackers are here. They do the march. They were still over like crazy. Uh, Bushwhackers in this tournament. We also had uh, the Godwins, who we'll talk about more too. The Godwins uh, had a great team. Phineas I, Henry O uh, with Hillbilly Jim. He also had another uh, team of buddies. Hakushi and Barry Horowitz. This is also the tail end of the Hakushi run in the WWF uh, moved over to the face side in the fall of 1995 to be Americanized by one Barry Horowitz, who his story arc goes to the uh, summer of 95. We talked about that with Johnny Candido and how Skip and Barry Horowitz had a little summer feud in 95, but Hakushi and Barry Horowitz would team pretty frequently between November and this time here in February, March. Uh, 96 before, again, Hakushi departs. And Barry Horowitz kind of is gone at this point, too, after uh, this tag team tournament in 96. Again, this is one of those little changing of the guard Uh, moments because a lot of the folks in this tournament won't be there by the end of the summer so it's um, it's kind of interesting you also have Owen Hart and the British Bulldog are in this tournament now this is prior to their uh, their takeoff only uh, about six seven months later as a tag team probably the perfect tag team they didn't realize they had on the roster at the time Owen had team with Yokozuna and that was a good team too but the Owen Hart British Bulldog team was excellent. They had a great in-ring chemistry, both as opponents, but as a team, they were even better. And I guess this was really after, you know, the failed British Bulldog main event run against Shawn Michaels in the summer of 96, uh, where it's, you know, what does he do best? He is a great tag team competitor, and he's in this team with Owen that would basically carry on through the middle of 97 into the Hart Foundation days. But what a great tag team. Owen Hart and the British Bulldog were, uh, for sure. Uh, other teams in the tournament, you had the body Donna's, like I mentioned, now it's skip and zip. Dr. Tom Pritchard with a shaved head, uh, bleach blonde or bleached white. It was very white, but it was very short and not looking like Dr. Tom. So we've got the body Donna's managed by sunny sort of. We also have, uh, an entry that I may dedicate a full show to, and that is the new Rockers, my man Marty Janetti and Al Snow, known as Leave Cassidy, uh, turning the Rockers from you know just young upstart uh, party animals into dorky nineteen sixties and seventies obsessed pop music fans that quote old 70s songs and are very, very nerdy and going as far as for Vince McMahon to continue to call them dorky on uh, air. It's very funny to hear Vince McMahon refer to the rockers as dorks. And uh, every time he said it, I'm sure everybody got a little chuckle out of it, but it's very uh, Vince McMahon-like to hear him say, this guy's a dork. It's very uh, it's very comical. I enjoyed it uh, every time I heard it. That's your field of play for the 1996 tag team championship tournament uh the way the matches would be broken up is they would be taped in Huntington West Virginia and Corpus Christi Texas uh basically uh, and I hate to say basically 9 million times on this episode but th- these were filmed over these two shows they were mostly The uh, format for those tapings, the first one being on uh, February 20th, 1996 and broadcast on February 24th, 1996 and the rest of them being taped um, a little bit further down the road and broadcast on March 2nd, uh, 1996 to culminate at WrestleMania 12 Uh, and this is something I didn't remember. I always wondered why the tag team match was on the free for all. And the free-for-all was basically the preview show that you would get for free to help you entice uh, your parents or convince your parents to help you uh, make that call on the old telephone to the cable company to secure your pay-per-view for the evening. But you would get the free-for-all for for 30 minutes on the preview channel, and whether it was the scrolling preview channel that we would get in later years or it was the actual pay-per-view channel that the show was broadcast on, you know, whether it was channel 99 or 75 or whatever it was in your neck of the woods, uh, the free for all was a new concept where that was rebranded in January, 1996. So they went from just having the countdown show or the preview show to calling it the free for all. So there was an emphasis on getting the free for all over. I just didn't remember that this was always pegged for the free for all. So picture having a tag team championship tournament, and knowing, going into it, that, all right, I really want to see how this goes. I really want to watch the culmination of these few weeks of television that I've been watching. But I get to see it for free. I don't have to watch the the $50 pay-per-view or $40 pay-per-view uh, that WrestleMania 12 was at the time. Especially, to that, you know, I've said many times... I'm not a big fan of WrestleMania 12. I, I just think it's it's slow. The Iron Man match is a good match, but it's not the best match you've ever seen between Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. Uh, the one fall to the finish, the overtime of that match, I think brings it down. But the rest of the, the show is just, it's very lackluster, and it's not indicative of what the WrestleManias of the past were or what the future would be. So you get the free-for-all, and you see the finals of this uh, tag team tournament, which is very cool. You know, it's something different, but I just didn't remember that it was always pegged for the free-for-all. So that was something that I learned uh, today. But the first one, like I said, February 24th, uh, Owen Hart and the British Bulldog defeat Hakushi and Barry Horowitz when uh, the British Bulldog pins Hakushi with the Power Slam. During that match, they were trying to kind of uh, get over the fact that the Bulldog was in tag team competition but wanted better uh, matchups. They had Diana Hart-Smith, in a uh, uh, an inbox promo, uh, pleading with Roddy Piper for a uh, a better round of competition for her husband, which would kind of be the slow build to the Shawn Michaels match in '96, where it was built around Diana and how she, you know, was being uh, hit on by uh, old HBK. Uh, which we would find out would be, you know, all just a ruse and a plot. But that's the first match, um, February 24th, Superstars. Uh, moving on to uh, the March 2nd edition of Superstars, the next match would be uh, the Godwins defeating the New Rockers, uh, which, and this is another interesting part too. I did not realize this until I was doing the research. This is Al Snow's actual first match as Leaf Cassidy. So Al Snow is Avatar. In 1995 and the thing about Avatar that I just mentioned was that Avatar puts the the hood on when he gets into the ring. So we saw what he looked like. It's not like he was this mysterious mass wrestler. We saw Leaf Cassidy as Avatar only a mere months prior And going into 1996, he was still Avatar. But I wonder what it was about Vince McMahon that said, no, I don't want to see him as a reverse mass wrestler. I want to see him as a 1970s pop music obsessed uh, rocker. And whether it was a rib on Marty Jannetty, because he always had so much heat with The Office, uh, they went from being the party animals to the dorks. And the new rockers take a defeat to the Godwins, which the Godwins basically became the uh, marquee team, the baby face team to the smoking guns or underneath the smoking guns who were kind of in a weird spot because Billy Gunn had gotten hurt to cause this tournament, but they were off TV and the, the, the smoking guns for having such a, a, a tight stranglehold on the tag team ranks for the better part of about two and a half to three years. Um, I don't know. They always seem to lose a lot. You know, they didn't really have a great showing all the time. So I think the interest in the smoking guns was waning and the Godwins were kind of that second tier top babyface tag team that would eventually supersede the smoking guns. Uh, but we would see later on in 1986, the smoking guns would have a little bit of a facelift. They would turn heel. They cut their hair. They shaved the mustaches. And they actually had more of a updated nineties, uh, you know, uh, uh, Clint black, you know Garth Brooks style look to them for their country uh, smoking gun uh, attire so very uh, very cool little different uh, the following uh, the following week March 9th 1996 Razor Ramon and Savio Vega defeat Tatanka and the 123 kid it's a very simple match again the last chapter of Razor and the kid just kind of goes out with a whimper. It's not very, uh, it's not very strong, and uh, it's kind of sad to see that's how it ends with uh, the kid and Razor. Uh, the following week, now we move out of Huntington, West Virginia, and into Corpus Christi, Texas. Skip and Zip the Body Donnas with Sonny defeat the Bushwhackers, and that was, uh you know, that was the end of the Bushwhackers. Pretty much, you'd still see him a few times, but. Uh, Zip pins Bush after coming off the top rope behind the referee's back after Skip sustained the battering ram, and it looked like the Bushwhackers were going to win, but no, the old switcheroo, the body donnas get the victory and move on to the semifinals. So building our Skip and Zip uh, uh, to take on Savio Vega and Razor Ramon and the Godwins to battle the Bulldog and Owen Hart. So that's a pretty good semifinals. And if you were in 96, I think you would think right away you might be looking at a uh, a Savio and Razor versus uh, Davey Boy Smith and Owen Hart final. But no, I want to point out one thing. On the night that the the matches were taped in February of 96, a unaired segment would occur where President Rowdy, Rowdy Piper announces that the back lot brawl, which would be, Roddy Piper and Goldust, the original version of that, the Miami street fight. He announced this to the crowd in Huntington, West Virginia. Razor Ramon would battle Goldust at WrestleMania 12. We all know that didn't happen. And this is an unaired segment. I would love to see it at some point if it has been released or if it would be released. It's one of those little Easter eggs where Razor Ramon uh, may have uh, failed a test whether or not that test was legit and, uh, and not just a test of spite because they knew he was on his way out. Razor Ramon is taken off of WrestleMania, but guess what? He's also taken out of the tag team championship tournament. So on that same show, technically the same taping that's announced he's going to face gold dust at WrestleMania and kind of the blow up to their feud. He, he teams with Salvia Vega and they move on in the tag team tournament, but He would be pulled and Savio Vega was about to be pulled as well by President Rowdy Roddy Piper. But Savio Vega went out and found a tag team partner, which was an unlikely tag team partner at the time because he was in the beginning stages of a feud with the ringmaster turned stone cold Steve Austin. Yes, that's right. Stone Cold Steve Austin is the new partner of Savio Vega against the Body Donnas in the semifinals. And as their feud was starting to begin, they were kind of laying the foundation for what they would have at WrestleMania, which probably is the best match on a uh, on the WrestleMania card. Uh, their feud would go on for months. I mean, and, and even at the King of the Ring, they would still pick it up and have uh, one final match. I mean, they always had great chemistry. They always had uh, very, very hard-hitting, stiff-looking matches. Uh, but Steve Austin also point out white boots with star Stone Cold Steve Austin, Million Dollar Champion with the Million Dollar Man, is the partner of Savio Vega against the Body Donis. Now he never tags in. And Savio takes the whole match uh, on his own, getting beat down for the better part of a couple of minutes, finally mounts a comeback, and instead of tagging Steve Austin, he knocks him off the uh, the apron. Uh, great throw off the, uh, the side into the guardrail by Steve Austin. He hits the spin kick, and then Steve Austin comes down with a little bit of a uh, Macho Man-style elbow uh, to cause the pinfall as savio vega would be pinned by skip and they would move on to the finals now the the body donnas were kind of chiming in that they were going to just get an easy track to the finals well they still end up getting the victory they defeat savio vega and steve austin and they await the winner of the godwins versus the bulldog and owen now in that semifinal match the godwins would go on to defeat Davey Boy Smith and Owen Hart. When the new rockers came to ringside and leaf Cassidy came up the top rope to interfere in the match. uh, It was kind of stupid. They had a disqualification finish, but nonetheless, you know, again, they were making the, the rockers look like idiots. They were making them look stupid. So by interfering, they ended up costing bulldog and Owen, the match, Henry and Phineas win, move on to the finals. Now you've got a body Donna's Godwin's final on the free for all. And what do you want to say about it? They also started this weird storyline where Sonny was kind of starting to woo other teams and it looked like she was a gold digger and would just be going with whoever the tag team champions were. And it started this weird little, uh, love affair with Phineas where he was smitten by Sonny and would get distracted by Sonny and Sonny in 1996 definitely caused uh, some distractions. That's for damn sure. um, but this final on the free for all at WrestleMania 12 also coincides with the free for all hype of what was supposed to be uh, the Huckster and the Nacho Man, which I don't believe uh, really ever got the uh, the blow off it deserved. I I want to say uh, I can't remember just as I'm recording this, but somebody got locked to uh, something and they never had the blow off. Go back and listen to an early episode of New Generation Declassified. We talk all about the Huckster and the Nacho Man. Uh, But in the finals, on the free-for-all, Skip and Zip, the body Donnas, defeat Henry Godwin and Phineas Godwin when Skip pins Phineas with a roll-up after Sonny distracted Phineas in the apron, showing a little side thigh, a little bit of the the rear end. Phineas gets distracted. The body Donnas are the tag-team champions. And the body Donna's would basically then go on to flip the tag team championship with just about every team mentioned, except for the new rockers uh, over the next couple of months, they would go on to, uh, to feud with the Godwins. still they would have the smoking guns coming back. Uh, They would trade those belts back and forth. They would also trade managers back and forth as Sonny would now go with whomever the tag team champions were. But I really did think that the smoking guns having more of an edge kind of renewed their life in the tag team division uh they would win the belts back and ultimately lose them to the bulldog and owen hart at mind games in september that is where then the smoking guns would end up breaking up bart and billy would go their own way billy would be a solo competitor which i did like billy gunn as a uh, kind of black hat uh bad guy before he became rockabilly which technically falls out of our new generation range although rockabilly would have fit in very well with the new generation uh motif uh all in all just watching some of these matches um again they're on superstars uh and i believe they're all on the the peacock uh streaming service i found you know three quarters of them on youtube before i had to go look elsewhere for the rest of them the free-for-all match is included basically everywhere you can find it. Um, I I think that that's actually the the lowest point of the tournament. I like the uh, the first round matches. I like that you get to see the different tag teams. I I like a couple of the uh. uh I actually I'll tell you my favorite one was probably the Body Donens against Savio and uh, Steve Austin. Even though Steve Austin didn't do anything, I just really liked Savio Vega in that match and the way he was portrayed as, as fighting from underneath. Uh, I want to run down a couple of the other tag teams that popped up on the, uh, the screen in 1996, whether it was at the beginning or the end, they just had a tag team uh, (laughs) uh, pairing at this point in the year. Let's see the headhunters. If you remember them from the Royal rumble in 1996, they are the giant Samoan twins with the painted faces that came in, in the 96 rumble and were basically beat up by Vader and Yokozuna. Later in the year, you would get Furnace and Lafon, a.k.a. Dan Crawford. But you'd get Furnace and Lafon coming in in uh, November at the Survivor Series. They'd end up pinning uh, Bulldog and Owen at the Survivor Series to become the sole survivors. And they would basically be the, the house show tag team match you'd see at the tail end of 96 in the early part of 1997 uh if you want to talk about some enhancement teams here's two of them for you how about the hardy boys uh were all over 1996 uh enhancement matches and this team i thought was very funny you would see them a lot you would see them in different forms and different variations but glenn ruth and chaz warrington okay now for all of us uh smart marks out there Glenn Ruth and Chaz Warrington less than a year later would be known first as the flying nuns. The second uh, or the sisters of love. I think is officially their name. Uh, the second was the headbangers. That's right. Chaz and Glenn, the headbangers, but as enhancement guys, just a year prior on WWF television, you also had uh, techno team 2000 and my personal favorite uh, razor and diesel would also become a tag team to be reckoned with, even getting a tag team championship match at the December 1996 in your house against the Bulldog and Owen, uh, Razor and Diesel. Obviously not Scott Hall, Kevin Nash. We all know the story, the Glenn Jacobs and Rick Bogner specials. Uh, Again, something that might need a spotlight. I've talked to uh, one of them uh, recently about that run. And, uh, you know, I've got some insight for sure on a couple things. Uh, but nonetheless, Razor and Diesel were in the tag team division at the later part of 1996, just not in the form maybe we would have thought uh, just a couple of months prior when the real Razor and Diesel were still in the WWF. Um, just trying to look over my notes, see if there's any final thoughts I had. Again, I suggest you go out and watch it if you haven't seen it before. Um, if you haven't seen, uh, any of it, it's definitely worth the shot. If you watched it at the time and you don't remember it as well as I, I look, I just didn't like it. I just didn't like where the WWF was in 96. I wasn't a Shawn Michaels fan. Bret Hart was basically gone. I didn't like where the WWF was. And that's when the NWO snuck in, stole everybody away. And the rest, as they say, is history, Uh, just like this episode of New Generation Declassified. Uh, We'll be back next week, of course, to talk some more vintage action. We'll see who we will talk about and who we will talk about it with. I've got a couple of ideas of what I want to discuss in terms of uh, personality profiles. I want to give a big shout out to a YouTuber named Lou Gregory, who has posted a compilation of not only Uh, every episode of the report card with Dean Douglas, but also every one of the debut vignettes of Waylon Mercy, who I will be digging into in the next few weeks. Waylon Mercy's debut vignettes are amazing. And when you go back and watch them in succession, you see the what could have been maybe if it was done a few years earlier when Danny Spivey was still uh, mobile. He was very hurt at this point. In 1995, when uh, Waylon Mercy was uh, was going to hit the scene, but oh my gosh, some of them are chilling and very, very well done. Uh, but getting to watch all the report cards as well was fantastic. So shout out to Lou Gregory on YouTube for getting those posted. Uh, let's say goodbye. If you want to follow me, it's at Chad Emb on Twitter. It's at IB Exclusives on Instagram. My website is IBExclusives.com. You can come and check out some of the private autograph signings I have scheduled. Uh, This website is TMPTEmpire.com. Come check out all our podcasts under the TMPT umbrella. You got vintage podcasts. You got interview podcasts and everything in between by a couple people that really know what they're doing in terms of vintage content as well as podcasting. So hats off to the TMPT Empire uh, for sure. Hey, I'm one of those guys. So hats off to me. Just kidding. All right. Well, we'll say goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. Check out that tag team championship tournament. Let me know your thoughts. So for the WWF tag team roster of 1996 and even the dork Leaf Cassidy. This is your old buddy, the Chadster. We will catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to the two man power trip of wrestling what the world is downloading.